Hey everyone, how you doing? This is Amon Green, the Green Bay Packers all-time leading rusher, and you're listening to The Average Cheese, hosted by Dell and Todd, two lifelong Packer fans talking about their favorite team, the 13-time champion, Green Bay Packers. Go Pack Go! Welcome to episode 146 of the Average Cheese Podcast. The whole family is here for episode 146. Thanks to Rhonda and the folks at RM Management. Thanks to Dwight at ddgcustoms.com. And thanks to Dan and the folks at Bob Anderson Builders. Peter, it's episode 146. It's the Vince Workman episode. It very nearly was the Vince Pookie Workman episode, but I decided in the end it wasn't. It was very nearly the Russ Letlow episode. So Russ Letlow wore 46. He was the Packers' very first draft pick back in 1936, but it wasn't him either. Instead, I've gone for a guy that I was lucky enough to spend a little bit of time talking on the telephone to, a guy that played defensive back, safety and corner for the Packers in the 50s and 60s. Hank Greminger played defensive back from the Packers from 56 to 65 and wore 46 throughout his Packers career and played pretty much, split his career playing half and half pretty much cornerback and safety. Interestingly, he played a lot of offensive end, which would have been today's wide receiver in college at Baylor and was drafted by the Packers in the seventh round of the 1956 draft. Pretty quickly won a starting job, won a starting corner job for each of his first three seasons. Then moved to safety in 1960, moved back to corner in 1961, where he started again, and then eventually moved back to safety again in 1962, where he played for the rest of his career, playing alongside the great Willie Wood. So in each of 1957, 61 and 62, Hank Greminger had five interceptions in each of those seasons. In six seasons across his career, he had three or more interceptions. So it was a pretty solid defensive back for those championship teams. He played on the three championship teams, 61, 62, 65. And across his Packers career, he played in more than 120 games and had 28 interceptions and seven fumble recoveries. And those 28 interceptions see him ranked 11th on the Packers' all-time interception list. Member of the Packers Hall of Fame, member of the Baylor College Hall of Fame. Yeah, and a really solid player from those Lombardi teams. Like I say, late 50s and early 60s. Probably doesn't get as much press as, as some of the other guys from those from those teams, but certainly a, a really good player. Todd, do you also wonder why Peter just glosses over the fact that he talked to a former Packer and just like, oh, I talked to a former Packer. He doesn't even talk about how that happened. He just like, yeah, like it was commonplace. How did you end up, Peter, talking to Hank Greminger about football? So I got his phone number probably from either Dan Curry or Ron Kramer, and might have been from Red. You're also glossing just over pick, your relationships and, with and, those people, but go and on. And just picked up right. the phone to him. He was still living living back in Texas, so he was, he was born and brought up in Texas, attended Baylor, played for the Packers, then moved back to Texas after his playing career was over, was still living there in Texas. And one thing I really remember about talking to, to Hank Greminger was what a gentleman he was. So he called me Sir Throughout the conversations that we had, he was so humble, very, just a super, super nice 
nice guy that just no airs and graces, nothing, just one of the nicest people that you could imagine to talk to. And, you know, I talked to him about the Packers, you know, the, him playing and some stories. And But like I say, more than anything about his playing time and whatever else, the thing that I really remember is just how nice he was. Just a super nice guy. Interesting. And speaking of gentlemen, we have a question from friends from Lil Rob from over across the pond on your side of the world. He said that we had to ask Mr. Peter. Did you not say Peter? <laughs> Maybe it's Sir Peter. It, it could be. Yeah. Knighted. Maybe from now. Yeah. Knighted. Yeah. Yeah. Ever right. she's knighted. Yes. <laughs> the, the, the <laughs> Anyway, Rob asked. Just how ridiculous that is. Yeah. (laughs) We don't have any kind of like. We just live in our own. We have no powers to do things like that. We don't even have a big ass sword. Don't you have to have a big ass sword to be knighted? That's it. Maybe we can get that done somehow. Right down the fucking toilet this episode is going. So, okay, Peter. Sir Peter, here's the question from Rob. He asks, what other teams rebuild have you been impressed with Peter? And which approach is best for the Packers? So that's two questions. Let's answer the first one. Is there a team's rebuild that you have been impressed with in recent memory? I mean, it's difficult to even define what a rebuild is for starters, because I think that most most NFL teams are in one of two or three places. One is that they're a successful team and they're retooling a successful team. One is they've had a successful team and some of the guys are getting old and they're retooling that. Is that a rebuild? Or you could completely cleaned house. That is a that is a rebuild. So I'm, I'm not quite sure where on that scale the Packers are. And you kind of look at it when you no longer have a 15 or 16 or 17 year quarterback that you've had through all that time, having followed a previous 16 year quarterback or whatever it was that, that perhaps you're in a rebuild. I think currently in the NFL, I like what the Texans are doing. And I I think what the Texans have done with CJ Stroud is pretty smart because they've surrounded him with a good group of receivers, with a very good group of veteran receivers. I think I like what they're doing. I like what Cincinnati's done over the previous few years. Those would be the two immediate ones. I think you also look at Jacksonville. And the common theme in all of those is they've got themselves a good quarterback. You have to do that. Now, you don't have to have a great quarterback to win in the NFL, but you've got to have a good quarterback. If you don't have a great quarterback, you've got to surround your good quarterback with good players. Obvious, but it's also true. I think the other thing in today's NFL about rebuilding or retooling is that you have to try where possible, particularly with early draft picks. I believe that you have to try where possible to get players that are going to come in and deliver quickly. Every team is running at the same salary cap number. So they're in, in essence, they've got the same level of resources. And the way that you win the salary cap game is you get players who play above what you're paying them. So you get a $10 million performance out of a player that you're paying $1 million. So that's how you win the salary cap game. That's how you win in today's NFL. I didn't know if you were going to say this because I had a thought about this too, but you nailed what I was going to say. You have to pick the right quarterback. Nothing else will work if you pick the wrong guy at quarterback. I think the Packers with Jordan Love, if Jordan Love is the guy, then the rebuild is a whole lot easier. I do agree with you though, Peter, that the Packers have to be, well, you didn't say this, but the Packers have to be better with picking guys in the first round who are going to make an impact immediately rather than picking for the future with Jordan Love as the quarterback. I think the thing is, I think you can draft and develop from 
round three, round four, round five, round six, round seven, right? But those guys that you're picking in, in, in round one, they need to come in and they need to play straight away. By the time they get to their third or fourth year, take Roshan Gary as a great example of a player who's gradually improved. By the time they get to their third or fourth, you're having to make that decision about, am I going to give this guy a huge contract? And I'm, in essence, giving him a contract that's the size of a free agent contract for a guy that I could bring in anyway. You're left with what's a difficult decision. And you look at the teams, take the 49ers with Nick Boza, comes in and dominates straight away. Now, there aren't that many Nick Bozas around. I absolutely get that. But you get an Aiden Hutchinson at Detroit who comes in and plays, starts every game and delivers week in, week out, immediately in his rookie season. And I think you have to have those guys. The Packers have a history of drafting potential. Rashawn Gary, Jordan Love. And, and do they work out? It's looking like some of them are. Those timelines on which those guys are begin their careers, other guys that were drafted prior to them are either at the downside of their careers. They're not amassing the talent all together at once. You have to strike a balance between the name brand guys coming out in the draft in the first round and the potential type guys. Yeah, absolutely do. And that's, that's the key is you have to strike that balance because you're always going to want to go have guys that you draft and develop for whatever reason. There may be a guy who would have been a first-round pick but had a, an ACL or whatever and he's dropped down the draft a bit. But you know he's going to be a good player. To win, you have to get players who deliver at a higher level than what you're paying them. It's an interesting question because there's no single way of doing this. All right, so let's move on. Packers-Chiefs this week. Luke Musgrave on IR, not coming off for this game. Luke Musgrave played after lacerating his kidney in that game two weeks ago. He played plays, and then he's like, oh, that don't feel right. What the fuck, dude? That's a tough dude right there. Fleur made a comment today, I think, in the presser that he feels as though there's like this elite group of like tough guys. And he puts Musgrave in that category. Shit, I, I don't even know how that works out. I mean, how, how do you lacerate your kidney and then come back in the season? I, I can't, I can't imagine he's going to be back. And that sucks. Really starting to catch fire. And just looking from the outside in, I, I don't think that he'll be back this year. I wonder what's going to happen with Darnell Savage and Eric Stokes. Speaking of, are they coming back ever? Well, Stokes was just cleared today. So he hasn't even been on the practice field i think he's got to get his feet under him darnell savage pro- i'd probably put him in the same same bucket it'd be great i'm not so high on stat savage as i am on excited about getting stokes and i don't even know the status about alexander at this point well there's that too jair alexander aaron jones heard anything i've heard nothing dontavian wicks concussion protocol last week I haven't heard a word about him either it's all very hush hush i guess they're in a strange week timing wise aren't they Having played on Thanksgiving, it's a holiday, you've got a weekend. I'm guessing that we're going to hear something, if not definitive, some more information tomorrow, Tuesday. Until then, Peter, we're going to have to have a little Chiefs history, Packers Chiefs history. Could you do that for us? Yeah. I mean, it's one of those series where the teams haven't played that often, 14 times, and the Chiefs are ahead in the series, 8-5-1. and one. The Packers won the most important game in the series, which was Super Bowl one. I. I guess a couple of other things that we kind of remember when the Packers went 15 and one in 2011 their sole loss late in the season was to the Chiefs so it was the Chiefs that stopped the Packers having a perfect season in 2011 not that long ago although it seems like a long time ago now 2021 Jordan Love's first start at the Chiefs 
in what turned out to be a close game, 13-7 Chiefs victory. And that was the week that Aaron Rodgers went down with COVID on the Tuesday. So Jordan Love didn't even know that he was going to start until probably the Wednesday. Yeah, quite a short history, obviously, with the Chiefs having been in the AFL and then the AFC. Not, not a team that the Packers play that often. That was the game where Jordan Love, his first start, Steve Spagnolo, I think, blitzed on every play. He did. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so a little bit about Chiefs coaching staff and executive staff. Lamar Hunt's son is the CEO of the Chiefs. Lamar Hunt is the guy whose name is on the AFC Championship Trophy. Brett Veach is their GM. Never heard of that guy. Andy Reid, former Packer coach, is the head coach. Andy Reid has been around for a long, long time. And I didn't know this, but he started out as like an offensive line coach. I don't know how many offensive line coaches end up as head coaches, but Andy Reid yeah, and might be a Hall of Famer. Coach, oh, God, yes. Uh, he is. And, and he, he coached yeah. tight ends. Coach tight ends at the Packers originally because Steve Mariucci was the quarterback's coach there, you know, to begin with under under Holmgren. But yeah, he's absolutely a Hall of Famer. Two Super Bowl wins, been to another Super Bowl with the Eagles. Yeah, he's absolutely a Hall of Famer for me. He had obviously had success in Philadelphia. And then when things went to go, go south and they bounced him out of town to go to Kansas City, who was God fucking awful at the time and resurrect your career. I mean, of this decade, he is the, I don't have this, the numbers, but. He's got to be the most successful head coach in the NFL right now. You compare. Oh, you could take Belichick and the Brady years, but now you see without Brady where that's headed. Amazing coach, Peter. Uh, Absolutely, all of that, and 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 that partnership that the head coach has, particularly an offensive head coach, offensive head coach that calls the plays. That partnership that he has with the quarterback is so crucial, and it just appears from the outside that that partnership is very tight, very solid between him and Patrick Mahomes. It has to be because former Bears head coach Matt Nagy is the offensive coordinator. Oh, man. Why would you hire that dude? He must have an amazing offensive mind. (laughs) They had had, um, Eric Biennemi there, didn't they, before for a number of years. Went to Washington. We got to talk about this, too, because I wonder, like, they just fired Jack Del Rio at Washington, the defensive coordinator. I wonder if Ron Rivera is next. And is this Eric Bieniemy's chance to be the head coach of the Washington Commanders? It feels like the tea leaves read that way for Eric Bieniemy. He's doing a great fucking job with Sam Howell. Who is Sam Howell? He scores me a lot of fantasy points every week. I know that much. Thanks, Sam. Their defensive coordinator is Steve Spagnuolo. Talked about him for a second. Yeah, that guy likes to bring the house on a lot of plays. And there's one former Badger, Leo Chanel, on the roster. He's starting right now, according to their depth chart at linebacker. I was a big Leo Chanel fan. Good player. Packers who were used to be with the Chiefs. There's a lot of them. I appreciate you bringing this up. Goody spent one year as a scouting assistant for the Chiefs in 1998. So he started his career at the Packers in 97 as an assistant in the front office, Spent then spent a year with the Chiefs and then came back to the Packers and has been with the Packers ever since. Uh, Russ Ball, who's the Packers Director of Football Operations, looks after the salary cap and all of that stuff for the Packers, was with the Chiefs from 89 to 98, mostly in football administration, as you would kind of expect. What I didn't realise when I was researching this was that he spent his first two seasons there as the assistant strength and conditioning coach. That's a weird <laughs> career trajectory. Yeah, but he worked closely with, I believe, Marty Schottenheimer when he was there at the Chiefs. And then Tom Clements, 
So there's a couple of things I didn't realise about Tom Clements. One was that he spent a year as the quarterbacks coach for the Chiefs in 2000. So it's Tom Clements, the Packers quarterbacks coach. But the thing I really didn't realise was that he also he played in the NFL. I never knew this. Knew that he played in the CFL. In fact, I believe he's in the CFL Hall of Fame. But he played one year for the Chiefs in 1980 as a quarterback, but only got on the field in, in one game. So I guess he was the second or third string guy back then in, 19, in 1980. And Christian Watson's father played for the Chiefs for three seasons from 93 to 95 as a, de- as a, as a defensive back. I wonder what kind of shenanigans we're going to get out of the Watson family this week. <laughs> now that we know that his dad played defensive back for the Chiefs. Can't wait for that. Also, the luckiest wide receiver to ever play in the NFL, Marquez Valdez-Scantling is with the Chiefs, as we know. He has gotten to play with two Hall of Famers and has made millions upon millions of dollars while catching like 30% of the balls thrown his way. You see that last drop he had? Yes. I felt bad for him, actually. I think it was on the, the few times I've been on Twitter. Somebody put together basically his career drops. Like, not every drop, but like... No, because that would be like a 40-minute video. What it'd be really long, but somebody put together like significant uncontested balls. Most of them were breakaway, like scoring opportunities too. It was hard to watch. It really was. I was like, oh my god! But he is still capable of making the odd huge play here and there. So you know when that's going to happen too. Yes, we do. He's also in a sea of other guys who can on the Chiefs. He's minimized. I mean, in my opinion, yeah. There's other guys you can make. We got Pacheco, Kelsey. You know. There's a lot of dudes in front of him who can make a lot of plays. So let's talk about the Chiefs draft picks from this year. Of the guys on their list, was there a favorite? You have your guys. So was there a, a guy on this list you're like, that's the good, that's a good draft pick? Yeah, I think the one that jumped out at me at the time and has probably been proven to be right now, the one that's contributed the most is Rasheed Rice. A part of that, those, those guys that the likes of SMU and some of those schools that run that kind of wide-open offense. Those guys get a lot of opportunities to catch a lot of passes. Sometimes they kind of get marked down for that. You know, those guys catch 100 passes in the suit. Well, yeah, but he's at this school or he's at that school. You know, some of those guys, you know, like Tank Dell at Houston, they, they are really, they really hone their skills. And Rasheed Rice was, was that guy, and he's out of the Chiefs draft picks. I just thought that he was the one that kind of jumped off the board as saying, that's a very nice pick going to that team with that quarterback. He's a good athlete. He's taller than a lot of those receivers than you than you kind of see coming out of like SMU is six six one. Jaden Reed would probably be the closest Packers guy. But I think he's got really I think Rice has got really good, really good hands. The rest of the Chiefs draft really didn't jump off the board to me at the time and still and still doesn't. And I guess to a degree, you kind of get stuck when you're picking at the end of the draft as they were, you kind of get stuck. If there's a guy that you really like who could be a second rounder, but you know he's not going to be there at the end of the second round, then you're taking him slightly earlier than perhaps some some of us would have done. But yeah, I mean, Rice was the guy that jumped off the board at me. The rest of the guys, I think, have yet to make a huge contribution. So far, the Chiefs are 8-3 and on the year. They lost to the Lions in week one and then just went on a really long winning streak. They've lost recently to the Broncos, which is kind of interesting. And then the Eagles, which that's, you know, Super Bowl matchup. So, okay, this is a good football team. We have to remember that. The Packers are going to be dogs in this one for sure. They're playing the arguably the best quarterback in the league in Patrick Mahomes. They have a very good tight end in Travis Kelsey. Isaiah Pacheco is an interesting 
guy to me. Seventh round pick out of Rutgers, and Rutgers football is just disgustingly bad. He runs like he's a much larger man, Isaiah Pacheco. Like he runs to contact, and he's not a very big dude. Peter, your guy, Creed Humphrey, that we could have had instead of Josh Myers. Sorry to bring that up. There's a lot of talent on this team. Who am I missing, Todd? I think we have our opportunities here. The Chiefs, while they're they do have the tendency to have meltdowns. I actually watched the when they played the, the Broncos. That was a total meltdown. When things kind of start to go bad for the Chiefs, they don't really have that recovery switch. That might be our opportunity in this game. Because I think if we play anything like we played last week and our offense comes out and scores early, we could be in the driver's seat to have an opportunity to win in this game. Peter, your thoughts on Chiefs offense? Yeah, I mean, you've talked about the best players. I mean, there's an offense that ranks eighth overall, but I think Todd's right. They seem to blow hot and cold. They seem to, they'll start hot and then they'll go through a game where they have like three or four, five possessions where they don't seem to do anything. And then they get hot again. Against the Raiders yesterday, you know, the Raiders got up on them yesterday and the Chiefs offense was cold in the first half and then got hot in the in the second half and, and ended up winning that game relatively easily. The wide receivers don't scare you. I think once, you know, once they made the move with with Tyreek Hill, that wide receiver group doesn't scare you. Um, they spread the ball around. You know, you have to control Kelsey, which is very difficult to do. And you have to control the running game, which, you know, as you've described, is actually better. It's ranked in the middle of the pack in the league, but it's better than I think most people give it credit for. If you stop Travis Kelsey, that is their biggest playmaker or their their game-breaking guy on offense, if you can stop him, and that's not an easy task. I mean, especially the way the Packers play defense against good tight ends, it'll be a struggle. If you can stop Travis Kelsey, I think you can put them on cold streaks because there isn't another guy. What about on defense? Much, much better than anybody gives them credit for on defense. I, I, I think I think we'd surprise a lot of people who weren't studying this stuff if you said that the Chiefs defense is fourth in the NFL, fourth against the pass, which is just as important. And, and you're right. I mean, you just picked out probably their best guy on defense, Chris Jones. He's got seven and a half sacks already this season, nine tackles for a loss, you know, from the defensive tackle position. The rookie from a couple of years ago, George Karlaftis, has got eight sacks, I want to say, already this season strong on defense and strong at the back end of the defense as well. Todd, how do we beat this defense? Something we haven't done this this year, which is establish the run game. I don't know if the status of Jones, and irregardless of that, whether it's a combination of Taylor and, and Dylan, they need to establish a run game to kind of take the pressure off the pass. They found their groove in the passing game with distributing the ball to everyone. Every Yeah, yeah. Every, that was evident in this last game. They've got to at least, they have to run the football 20 times, maybe plus. They've got to go over 100 yards in, of rushing in this game to have a chance. If only to have the Chiefs not blitz you on every play. Like you start running by guys. Yeah, you can't have Jordan Love with a guy in his face on every play. You have to be able to run the ball effectively enough so they're not just pin pinning their ears back. Because that's what they did the last time Love started against the Chiefs. And their special teams is good too. Better than ours, I would say. Harrison Butker is perfect. No. It's hard to be better than that. I mean, he hasn't missed a field goal or an extra point. Todd, you probably put this in the notes as the special teams coordinator. They only averaged 19.4 yards per kick return. I did not. Oh, that's Peter will, this time. I'll defer that to Peter. So if you're Rich Bisaccia, Peter, are you telling them to kick the ball off short and take your chances? No, I'm, I'm, I'm still all for just kicking touchbacks and being done with it, but... 
The Packers are 18th in offense and 18th in defense. Chiefs, like you said, Peter, are 8th in offense and 4th in defense. They're also 7-point favorites, the Chiefs, this week against the Packers. The Packers are at home, so they're 7-point dogs at home. The over-under is 41.5. Does anyone else feel like Vegas has completely whiffed on the over-under? Because I think it's way the fuck off. And you have not been taken care of by swears, by the way. Sure. No, I have not. Okay, it's all right. I'll count them up later. <laughs> okay. Let's get to a score prediction. I am not going first, Peter. It's your oh, turn. So the Packers are seven-point dogs at home. Again, the over-under is 41 and a half. The Packers have got a shot. That if they play anything like they played against Detroit, and they've been gradually, the last two or three weeks, we're gradually getting better. My heart says the Packers. My head says the Chiefs just. I think the Chiefs win this game 28-27. I will follow that. I don't think the Packers will win this game either, but I think it's definitely over the 41 and a half. I think the Packers will lose 28-24. I think it'll be a game that gives us a little bit of confidence, though. I think it's going to be one of those games the Packers are in till the end. Oh, what was the point spread? Or what was Seven. the total points? The no, total the, points is 41 and a half. The Chiefs are seven points. I think it's going to be right around there. I have the Packers winning this game 24 17. Yeah. Wow. I, I do think that while the defense is allowing an absurd amount of yardage per game, they are somehow, somehow consistently keeping teams at 20 or, or below. I think that will continue here. Even though Patrick Mahomes and Kelsey and like all these other things, I feel like they're going to step up to the plate and get it done. Would you say it was sevens or seven and a half? I have the Packers winning 24-17. We're on a so, roll. This episode is Todd the Optimist. <laughs> it is. I, I I feel like there was something transitioned with this team in this last game. And I think it started with LaFleur. He finally realized, like, this is my team. It's on me. I'm tired of losing. I'm tired of the mistakes. I'm tired of things not going our way. I'm putting everything on my back and, and we're we're rolling with this thing. And I think he's really got the this team really motivated, you know, playing at, at there, there's so many injuries. I mean, they, they played well against the Lions and how many starters are out? I mean, look yep. across the board and they're getting it done. I feel like they're going to ride that wave at home. I think it's a, an important game. I, I think they get it done. All right. So thanks for listening to episode 146 of the Average Chiefs Podcast, the Hank Greminger episode. Go Paco. Go Paco. Go Paco.